Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. We had Natalie Spooner on the show earlier, gold medalist, helping Canada win in overtime last night against the USA at the World Hockey Championship in Calgary. You ever miss anything on the show, sign up for the podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, we'll send you a canned ham when you do so. Or you can just go to the 630 Ched website and go to the show page and find all the archived audio there. We do not send you a canned ham if you do that. In fact, we may come to your house and take away some of your canned goods. So keep that in mind when you're signing up. Okay, so the uh, Orioles and the Blue Jays playing tonight in middle of the sixth. Blue Jays lead at 4-3. It is the Baltimore Orioles that, uh, oddly enough, started us on the path to this next segment. They had lost 19 games in a row. Cam Moon, the former play-by-play voice of the Red Deer Rebels, now calls Oilers games here on 630 Chad, came on the show, and we started talking about long losing streaks and bad teams. And Cam Moon said, you know what, Wilkins? When uh, I was in the Western Hockey League, I played against a team that uh, played a 72-game schedule and only won five times. That was the 1989-90 Victoria Cougars. And we started looking at the roster and and, uh, recognizing some of the names. And uh, so Moon and I talked after the show, and I said, well, I'll try to get this guy on, and you try to get uh, this other guy on. And we got them both on tonight, of all things. So I am pleased to welcome to the show from uh, the 1989-90 Victoria Cougars. First of all, Milan Dragasevic. Milan, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you for having me. Probably the first time we've talked. Uh, at some point, I probably interviewed you post-game in the Alberta Junior Hockey League because you were coaching Drayton Valley for a stint while I was in Lloydminster. So good to catch up with you. And uh, one of the goaltenders, actually the, the number one goaltender for the Cougars that season, Jarrett Burgoyne, is on the line as well. Jarrett, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So are, have, you, have you guys been in touch? Are, are you regularly in touch? Or is this a bit of a reunion for you guys to be on together? Well, it's been about 31 years since I last spoke to Jared. <laughs> Hi, Milan. How's it going? Yeah, good to hear from you. <laughs> well, thanks for doing this, guys. Uh, I, I know probably uh, out of the blue, but uh, I, I mean, I'll start with you, Milan. And, and I, I know you didn't play the entire season there, but um, what was your story of being a, a Cougar that year? Well, I got traded from Spokane to uh, Victoria on the trade deadline day. Uh, Art Breeze, uh, who had a, represented a lot of hockey players back in the day, uh, called me, and I was in Edmonton waiting for a trade, and he says, you're going to uh, a real good franchise. And the first thing I said, I hope it's not Victoria. And he says, well, Milan, you're going over there. And... Uh, so that's kind of how it ended up. I, I went from Spokane, uh, which was a solid organization. The year after, they won the Memorial Cup with uh, a lot of really good hockey players. And then I went, like, uh, maybe you could say from the penthouse to the outhouse uh, in my last three and a half months of junior. So that's how it transpired there for me. 
Yeah. Uh, Jarrett, like, like I mentioned, you were the, the starting goaltender. And, and, and again, talking about uh, connections with me in Milan, which, you know, are, are, it's not like we, we knew knew each other, but I'm sure we would have interviewed him. And, Jarrett, I would have watched you play because you went to the UFC from 91 to 95, and that's when I was at the U of A. So we have a slight connection there as well. Um, right. But Victoria, I, I mean, look... I gave your stats last week. You had a goals against average of 7.78. What was it like being a goalie on that team where, like, did it feel hopeless some nights? Well, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I I have a lot of recollection and a lot of memories. I I remember one particular week we were on the road and we played um, uh, two games back-to-back in Seattle, and then we went to to, uh, Kamloops after that, and... uh, we lost 17-2 and then 17-3 two nights in a row in Seattle, and then we went to Kamloops and we lost 16-4. So uh, it's a pretty tough week on your goals against average. It, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's turned into a pretty good comedy routine over the years. Um, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, we had the best breakout in the league. Um, it was when the linesman came and got the the puck and took it to center. So, um, you know, a lot, a lot of nights it felt like we had. 65 shots against and uh, uh, I know Milan was uh, was one of the defensemen and I know we were uh, you know we, we struggled a lot in our own end just uh, just just knowing where to play uh, I'll, I'll ask you guys this question Milan you can answer first here I want to get perspectives from both you guys because as you mentioned Milan you came in mid-season and Jarrett you were there all year was like was the team upbeat did it feel unified did it like did it get to be every man for himself after a while because because the record was so bad what was the camaraderie and the attitude like on the team Milan well you know that's a good question and and, you know I I personally thought all the guys in the team were pretty good Um, as far as players uh, everyone getting along we knew we were a terrible hockey team and um, coming from Spokane and playing with Ray Whitney, Pat Falloon, John Clem, uh, you know, uh, and then coming over to Victoria and then just seeing our lineup, uh, you know, it, it just, you, you know that we just never had a chance to win. But the guys were actually pretty good as far as getting along, hanging out, uh, you know, uh, it was tough to implement any kind of structure. I believe I was there for the three months. I thought I saw three coaches, as I recall. So it was a revolving door of coaches, uh, and we were just a bad, bad hockey team. A good midget AAA team would have beat us. Oh, wow. Uh, Jared, what what about for you? Did you feel like it was still... Uh you're fun to go to a rink like a fun hockey environment despite the results yeah it was i mean it was it was tough because we um i, I was there the, uh, the the year previous and we were a good hockey team we were um we finished second in the west division um uh you know behind the portland Winterhawks. so we were a good hockey team the year before and we had um uh you know the other goaltender on the team was wade flaherty who who uh is with the winnipeg jets now and and had a career and we had um Jim McKenzie and Jackson Penny and Clayton Young and, um, uh, you know, Len Berry the year before. So we, we were a good hockey team the year before. Um, interestingly enough, we had an ownership change over the offseason before the start of the 89-90 season. Um, Wayne Naka returned as the head coach, who I thought was a, a wonderful head coach. Um, really learned a lot from him in my in my first year in the Western League. And then 
um, you know, so an ownership change. And then, um, you know, the, the, what tragically happened at the start is the night after our home opener at the beginning of the season, we had a teammate die in a car accident. And unfortunately, um, two other teammates were in the car behind them and actually watched it all. So um, that's how the season started for us. I went through at one point and we had 50 different players play. And like Milan mentioned, we had four different coaches. Um, so a lot of turmoil. Um, we had lots of things that happened. We had, I, I, I remember, uh, I don't know if Milan was, was there for part of that, but we, you know, we were two and a half hours late for a game in Spokane one night, you know, and, and uh, we had a bus breakdown. We had, uh, we, we left the backup goalie. We were, we were on our Eastern swing and, and our other goaltender on the team, um, he missed the bus going to Saskatoon or from Saskatoon to PA um, just for the after our, our pregame meal. Um, so we get to PA and we don't realize we we don't have another goalie. <laughs> so <laughs> I got run over a whole lot that night. <laughs> so yeah, we just we just we, there were just many many things. Um, you know, I, it was uh, it was a carnival for sure. Yeah, well, and thanks for sharing that about ha- having a player killed at the start of the season. I mean, obviously that that makes it extremely tough emotionally. We're talking to Jared Burgoyne tonight and Milan Dragasevic on the show. They were both members of the Victoria Cougars hockey team who uh, recorded a uh, a very poor season, to to say the least, five sixty five and two back in uh, nineteen eighty nine ninety. So look, you, you guys you guys went through that, and as I referenced. You went on to bigger and better things. I mean, Milan, you you've become a coach. You've been you've been pretty successful. You've coached tier one, tier two. Uh, I believe you're now with an academy. Tell tell us about life uh, after the Cougars and eventually going on the path to coaching. Well, right after the Cougars, uh, you know, nothing can you know nothing can prepare you for. Um, life after the Western Hockey League. As far as what you want to do and stuff like that, I was still 20, and then I had a bunch of schools calling me at 20, so I said, I went to the Oilers camp at 20, and, you know, back then they offered they offered you a East Coast Hockey League deal. You know, back then they called it the East, East Cocktail League, and so uh, it was a lot different than it is now, and, and I just said, no, I'm going to go and go to the, use the education money from the Western Hockey League, and I went to Acadia, got a couple degrees and just started coaching for the last 25 years and uh you know Drayton Valley and Tri-Cities and Vancouver Giants and now I work full-time for the academy here in Delta and uh we've we've gone through some heartaches here as well with us for the last week as you guys know um so you know everyone's just kind of dealing with that right now and uh it's been tough here over the last week yeah yeah for sure of course uh uh yeah the 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 players killed in the in the car crash about a week and a half ago that that was a a tragic one for sure Jarrett, you you went on to play for the ufc and i know you and i talked briefly last week when we were setting up this uh interview and you said well i I was a heck of a lot better at uh 22 and 23 than i was at 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 18 and and 19 and and you stepped into a different world and, and i believe uh some pretty good ufc teams that you were backstopping in those days too yeah, I, I, I ended up playing my 20-year-old season back in the Alberta Junior Hockey League for the Calgary Royals um, uh, for head coach Garth Malarchuk at that time. And uh, as, a, as a 20-year-old in the AGHL, um, uh, we won the AGHL championship and, and lost in the Pacific Division Finals to, uh, to Vernon. And so, yeah, it was nice to uh, play on a winning team again. And then from there, I went on and played... Uh, four years uh for the university of calgary dinosaurs and and uh you know got my degree uh an economics degree from 
you know, see after that. And um, since then, I've worked uh, my career in uh, the oil and gas business in, uh, in oil field services and, and been involved in that. So um, that's been my career since then. Yeah. Milan, in, in your experience as a coach, um, do you ever reference that season? Like if guys are down in the dumps or if you've lost three or four in a row, do you ever say like, hold on, guys, like I went through this or do you just sort of uh, not not touch it and maybe think the players aren't going to care what their what their old coach went through? Well, you know, as, as a coach, you know, the way to get players' attention is by telling stories. And they get captivated because they want to hear uh, what you went through and what some of your peers went through back in the day. And and that's a real interesting story that uh, sometimes I tell when we're going through a rough time. And I said, listen, I came to uh, Victoria. They were on a 15-game losing streak. And I got there, and I didn't help them much because we lost 19 in a row after that with me there. And I went from a plus 10 to a minus 90. So... Uh, Try to try to wrap your head around that one. Go into a team of plus ten and end up minus ninety. So um, our goaltenders definitely did not have a lot of help, and um, it, it was just uh, you know the greatest thing that I remember from this is uh, and Jared could remember is we were on this thirty-game losing streak, and and we go in uh, Kamloops, and they were ranked number one in Canada, and we beat them in Kamloops. 30 minutes after we shower, we start walking out, and uh, what's Kamloops doing? They still got their full equipment on, and they're still getting skated hard after everyone left the Coliseum over there. I believe it was called Memorial Coliseum. Uh, so I vividly remember that. That's how we broke the streak. It was, it was that game in Kamloops. Jared, do you remember that game? Absolutely, yeah. It was, uh, uh, I, I remember uh, how... Uh, Let's just put it mildly how disappointed Ken Hitchcock was in his team at that time. So, so it was, uh, and, and we looked like we won the Stanley Cup. It was, uh, it was nice to finally, finally end the streak. And uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you, what you learn from it is some perseverance and 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 how to you know get through it. And certainly, uh, I'm sure Milan uh, remembers it, and and uh, it gets you to a point where you don't ever want to lose. And I absolutely hate to lose. And to lose that much, and um, I, I kind of chuckled. Reed, when you called, and you said it was, you know, there was a losing streak in baseball, and I, I, I went and looked it up, and I, I said it's 19 games, and I kind of laughed. I said that's nothing, right? So I, I, I almost think that sometimes we had, uh, you know, we must have had some seven, eight, or nine, or ten game losing streaks in that season as well, and that get overshadowed by the 35 game losing streak. So um, yeah, it's interesting, but I, cer- I certainly, if anything happened, it, it made me that I absolutely hate to lose, and I'm very competitive and I, I know that that's probably uh, the same for Milan. Yeah, well, and it's, uh, you know, it's it's one year out of your lives, and, and like we've been talking about, you guys have gone on to have great uh, great careers in your chosen profession as well. I'll end on a really light note. Uh, if, if you are at liberty to share, uh, do you remember each other's nicknames from the hockey team that year? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a long time ago. Just what happens when you get traded a few times like myself, you get a different nickname wherever you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I remember Milan's, and uh, it was it was uh, a, a centerman that we had by the name of Mike Seaton that came up with it. and um, he, They came in and said his name's Dragon Civic, and uh, he turned around and said, well, no, we'll call him Push a Honda. So that was, uh, <laughs> that was oh, Milan's. Geez. 
<laughs> you must have loved right. that, Milan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember when I played for the Crusaders, they used to call me Drive a Honda. So in Detroit, it was Push a Honda. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, good I think old, mine, the good old days. Yeah, yeah my, mine was 29 inch five ball, I think. So. Um. <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> Look, guys, I, I appreciate you doing this. It was uh, like I said, Moon and I started talking about it last week, and we and like on air, we were looking up names on the teams. And Milan, I recognized yours right away. And then uh, I, Jared, I gave your stats, and then clicked on you. And I was like, well, wait a minute, I would have seen this guy play, whether I remember or not, because I was going to school at that time. So I, I do appreciate the memories from that year. I know there are some tough ones, but also some some positive ones as well. And and I really appreciate you hopping on the show. I wish you continue success in hockey in life whatever you're doing and maybe we can chat again someday thank you very much right on that is milan dragasevic and jared burgoyne checking in members of the victoria cougars team back in 89 90 uh they took you through part of that year started with a tragedy multiple losing streaks an unlikely win over ken hitchcock in kamloops and uh it ended with a record of 565 and two so i appreciate them looking back on it and as they mentioned life's turned out pretty good for both of them since it is 722 inside sports on chet All right. Well, that was uh, that was a good one. Down memory lane with Jarrett Burgoyne and Milan Dragasevic from the 1989-90 Victoria Cougars, the team we brought up on the show last week after they won just five times in 72 games. So we looked a little deeper into that story. Man, we're going to have some fun coming up. Bryn Griffiths is standing by. It's Inside Sports. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Sports on Oilers and Elks Radio, 6.30, Chet. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Elks getting back to work today. They'll have... A full practice tomorrow, mostly stretching and meetings today. It appeared, reports from Morley Scott, that uh, Darrell Walker and Shai Ross not, not part of the group today. Doesn't necessarily mean for sure they were two of the 13 that had COVID, but Jamie Elizondo said that some of those players likely not to be available, likely not to be fully recovered in time to play on Monday against Calgary. 12.30, countdown to kickoff here on 6.30, Chad, 2.30 for the start of the game, and then I'll have a live edition of Inside Sports after the points after show here on 6.30 Chet. Blue Jays and Orioles now tied 4-4. That game is in the bottom of the seventh. So quick story here. I, I, as I'm sure I've mentioned before, I attended Nate where I studied radio and television in, uh, when did I go in? In January of, uh, of 98. I, so I think it was in our, 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 it was either our second or third semester. So it would have either been the fall of 90, uh, 98 or the January to April session in 99. 
uh, Bryn Griffiths, who was working for the Oilers at the time, uh, came in to talk to our class. And obviously, uh, you know, I and a few other people were highly interested in, in careers in sports broadcasting. So uh, Bryn came in, told us a little bit about himself, about his career path and about, um, you know, how the uh, the media would be sort of expected to uh, interact with the Oilers and and uh, and get stories and cover games and practices and things like that. And uh, and Bryn said, if if any of you are interested in coming to a game, we we can accredit you for a game. Um, you know, you you probably won't be able to go to the dressing room or do interviews or anything like that, but you can come to the game and sit in the press box and kind of stay out of the way, but but see how things go up there. And then he said, "Are there any questions?" So me being the eager student that, that I was, my hand shot up immediately, like I'm right in there with a question for Brent because I, I needed to know something and I needed to know it right now because this was important. He goes, "Okay, uh, sir, what do you want?" Uh, I said, uh, "Mr. Griffiths, when we go to these games." can we partake in the media meal before the games? And he kindly said, uh, no, you cannot. I always remember that, Bryn. I, I, that, it's kind of embarrassing that I tell it out loud. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, but you showed that you had your priorities right. <laughs> and, and, and I like that. I, I like that right out of the gate. I, I thought to myself, now there's a kid with media future and, and you've done okay. I, I've I've done okay, and uh, I I should note I now that I'm covering the Oilers, uh, first of all the media meal is not free. That's that that is a bit of a fallacy that we are just showered with food while we're there. And second of all, because I'm doing the face-off show, I never would have time to partake in the media meal uh, anyway. <laughs> now that I'm actually, but, but, but uh, whoa, whoa, but you do get a receipt, so I would talk to your tax accountant <laughs> about that because you might be able to write some of that off. Yeah, I should just make sure I get a receipt. That's right. And bring it back. What years were you with the Oilers again? Wow, I think it was 97 to 2001. I, I refer to those as the gory years. It, was, uh, it wasn't really great. It wasn't a lot of fun. Well, you know what? I shouldn't say that. It was fun, but it's just it wasn't very successful on the ice. They had their moments where they surprised. I, I really joined the team right after their big Dallas victory in Game 7 on the Todd Marchand goal. That's kind of where I jumped in. But we had a lot of fun players around at the time, and, and so I did enjoy it. But it would have been it would have been far more fun for me had the team achieved something during that period, other than just the odd surprise or upset. But, but I loved it. It was great. Yeah. Basically a team, like you said, uh, the upset over Dallas and then the upset over Colorado, but really a team usually fighting just to make the playoffs, but, but with some great players and with, for, for part of that era, uh, a really interesting coach. Like Ron Lowe was on the show last week. I've got to interview him several times over the, in, in recent years uh, very well spoken, very entertaining, a great storyteller with with great perspective on what's happened in hockey in the past and what's happening in the game now. Uh, tell us about getting to know uh, Ron behind the scenes and maybe having to uh, well manage his media relations at times. Well, I was lucky enough because I was around and I got to see uh, Ron. And you're right, very personable guy. And he he would go way out of his way to help you if you needed help on anything. But he was a very emotional guy. And another guy who was there when I was coaching was Kevin Lowe. Another guy who would go a mile and a half for you. Very emotional guy. But just to stay with, with uh, the original Low Tide for a minute, the, uh, the, the one thing that, always, uh, that I always remember that is, is the fact that fans always think that coaches are yelling and screaming during intermissions. And 
I had the opportunity to be in those locker rooms before the game, right before the game, and during the intermissions, and also right after the game. And coaches don't yell and scream as much as people think. The, the, the paint is not peeling off the dressing room walls, nothing like that. Now, there were the odd games where you thought that the team would have performed better and horribly underperformed, and those would be the nights where I would walk down and into the locker room right after the game, and, uh, and Floyd Whitney was our guy who was guarding the, the door. And, and if it was shut, that meant there was a little bit of uh, verbal activity going on from the coach, Ron Lowe. The, the thing that I always remember vividly was I still had to go into the room to get ready to allow the media to come in. And when I would go through that door, I could hear the yelling and screaming. And we're, there's a long hallway that kind of went down into the locker room. And, and I always remembered when I go through that door, there was Joey Moss. And Mosser would always be in that, in that hidden area where he couldn't see the players you know, being chewed out by Ron Lowe. And Joey would always look at me and he would do the old shh. I didn't need any prompting, but, I, you know, it, it was always kind of fun. And and Ron would just kind of vent. And then it would go really quiet for maybe about 10 or 15 seconds. And then there was the, and anybody who's played hockey will know this, this sound. There was the unmistakable sound of guys taking the hockey tape off from around their shin pads that you know the sound i'm talking about and that always goes my 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 heads up that okay the the rant and the rave from from ron is over and then you'd go in and you'd have to be the first guy to say anything to the players after ron low and it was boys we open the room in five minutes and uh but I, I loved Ron. He, 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 you know, he's always got a big smile on his face. Always got a great story. His enthusiasm level was in, was right up there. But he was an intense competitor, and when he was behind that bench, he was just as intense. Yeah, the it, it's interesting. For me, it's been interesting because you get to know the players professionally as a reporter. Sometimes you might have a little bit of a side conversation. There's a lot of different personalities. There's a lot of different comfort levels yeah. for human beings, hockey players or not, about speaking into a microphone or into cameras or publicly. Now, if you're Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl or Ryan Nugent Hopkins and you're not comfortable, I'm not saying specifically those guys aren't, but you better get comfortable. Like, were there players that needed some coaching or, or prodding from you where you had to say, look, I, I know you don't like it or I know maybe it makes you nervous, but you got to do this. You got to talk sometimes. Yeah, because the one thing you've got to always recognize is that when you're talking to the members of the media, you're you're really talking to the fans. They're an extension. If they're if the media guys are doing it right, you're basically talking to the fans through the media member. The one thing that's made it now we're living in this COVID world and everything's kind of done via Zoom or uh, you know some other technological method where the the media guys are not in the room anymore. There's a, a real disconnect, and I saw it happen on a couple of occasions last season where the player didn't quite understand the, the tone coming from a member of the media on a question or two. And in the old days, you could pull a guy aside and go, hey, listen, got a second, just come over here. And you'd go around the corner, and you'd be able to ask a guy some questions because you didn't want the other members of the media to get it. You're looking for a little scoop or a little story, but you always were able to build a relationship with the player. 
And I think that that's kind of disappearing. And it, it makes me a little sad because I think that, you know, who doesn't get served well? It's fans. They don't, they, they're going to all find out the same thing from everybody else in the media as opposed to getting that little nugget in the paper or on the radio or, or online or whatever. I, I, I think I just don't like the direction that, that, that it's going. But there were always young guys in particular that you had to work with in terms of dealing with the media. The one thing that I always tried to tell guys was that you see these guys every day, learn their names a little bit because if you use their name in an interview or just talking to them one-on-one, you might get a little leeway from that media guy if the going gets a little tough or you're in a bit of a, in maybe a little bit of a skid. And so to me, it was always kind of fun just to, to work with the younger players just to get them to be a little more media savvy. And of course we all go back to feel it wasn't feel of dreams. It was the, it was bull Durham where you had the Kevin Costner character, uh, you know, teaching the young guy how to deal with the media. And as much as it's platitudes and, and uh, you know, cliches and that kind of stuff, it it really is like that. Me. And it's not just the media relations guy that does that. I watch older players do that with younger guys as well. And so for me, that was all part of the fun of watching a guy develop, not only as a player on the ice, but how they developed as a player off the ice. And in particular, I also looked after community relations. So to be able to take guys out into the community and get them hooked up with certain charities, you really see how guys grow. And that, that for me was a lot of fun. Did it feel in that era in the locker room and with the players like a second division team, I mean, Doug Waite eventually left. Doug, you know, Garen was here for a few years, but eventually left. Cujo was here for late. Did it? Did guys sort of feel like, well, yeah, we we can't really build because when you know eventually the good players will will go on. Like, did that affect the team? Was that a real thing? Well, I think that the, I, I can tell you this right out of the gate was that when I got hired by Bill Tewilly to go. They were right in the middle of this chat about the orders upping and being sold to Houston. The very first question that came up in my interview was, hey, listen, before we go too much. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Further, if you get this job, would you be prepared to move to Houston? Like, that's how close it was. And that was a bit of a, a wake-up call for me. But when players keep hearing that kind of stuff, you often wonder, how can I get attached to the city? How can I get attached to the fan base or the community in general when you're hearing that kind of stuff? The other thing is, we always were portrayed, and still are in some respect, a small market team. And so you always were afraid that if you got really close to the guys on the team, so-and-so might have to leave, not because they were trying to make the team better, but because they were trying to balance the books. And I think that that might have been the toughest part of being around that team at a time is that you knew that you might lose a guy not because of the, his talent or his ability or the fact that you might be bringing somebody in who might be better to raise the, the caliber of the hockey club, but it was being done purely on economics. 
So I think that that might have that might have been something that would grind the players down a little bit. But for the most most part, these guys are hyper competitive. So they really loved getting out there on the ice and maybe surprising from game to game or, or catching somebody a little off guard. But I always thought that the teams were competitive. It's just that they didn't have that little extra edge that would take them to the next level. Yeah. Bryn Griffith joining us tonight on Inside Sports. We're looking back on his tenure uh, doing uh, media and community relations with the Edmonton Oilers. We're, we're going to talk more with Bryn here after the break, where he's going to let you know what he's up to now. He's got a great podcast going. Uh, he's uh, he's had a bit of a health battle here that he's fought through. More coming up, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. a great time chatting with Bryn Griffiths. Bryn, it is an honor to have you on the show. Long overdue that, that we're doing this, and, and I hope we do it more frequently as we move along here. And Well, well can look, I just I, jump in and say something? I saw you tweeted out, you used the term media legend. I hate that uh, because, <laughs> now listen, if I'm still broadcasting in any form when I hit my hundreds, like Halsey, then, yes. then you can use it. But right now, I, please don't. All right. Well, I won't delete it because that would seem cheesy, but I won't I won't use that word again. I I Thank meant you. it totally respectfully. Well, I appreciate that and thanks, but don't. Okay. Uh, fair enough. I, 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 I understand why you're saying that. Somebody called me a legend in a podcast a couple of years ago and I was like, Are you are you nuts? But uh, I, I, I fair, cringe. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, how are you doing? I mean, you and I, you, you, you speaking of Twitter, you, you did put it out on, on Twitter that uh, you were facing a battle with cancer. I think it was last February or March. How are you doing, Brent? I'm doing great, actually. I, uh, I You know what? It's funny. Life takes its strange turns, and some are uh, wonderful and some are not so wonderful. And often it'll happen in the same year. But for me, I... Uh, I, I had not been feeling well for about six months and I'd gone to see my doctor, but we couldn't get an endoscope done to go down my throat to see what was going on in my stomach. But I had this horrible indigestion for about six months. And uh, I had gone over to the world junior hockey championships in, in uh, the Czech Republic and I still wasn't feeling great, but I still managed to, to gut it out. And uh, when I came back, I collapsed in the home about a week later and they had found that I had a bleeding ulcer, which didn't surprise me. But what kind of shocked me was they said it's on a tumor and we think it might be cancerous. So they did the biopsy and sure enough, the tumor in my stomach, which is high up, it had to be removed. And because of its location, they had to remove my entire stomach. So I, like I was basically, as I say around the house and it makes everybody here at the family cringe a little bit, I, I, I was gutted like a trout and uh, they removed my stomach, and it took me six to eight months to recover. They did a remarkable job uh, of, uh, of getting everything because I've had two cancer scans now, and I'm clean. So that just means to me that I can go back and be annoying in other methods of media for, uh, you know, until I'm tapped on the shoulder next. Well, and, and it's like one thing that I think d- means you deserve legendary status is that you're working with Robin Brownlee. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, doing the podcast with Robin, and by the way, it's called The Outsiders. We've had so much fun, and, and I think the thing is, because we're only doing it, and we're going to expand to twice a week coming up here in October, but we were only doing it once a week. So unlike you, who really does the grind where you're doing it every night, uh, so we do it once a week. So we can't get really specific on things. We have to talk in generalities. So the goal for us is if we get somebody on, the goal for us is to try to figure out, can we find something new about this person that we had no clue about, right? Like we had Dave Tippett on a couple of weekends ago, and he was talking about how he loves fixing old cars and old motorcycles. And I didn't know that. I'd never heard that before. And, and you could see the look on his face when he was talking about it, this, this, uh, this pride and ownership of these vehicles that he'd work on during the off-season. It was a real fun thing for him. So anyway, for Robin and I, it's just been a blast to, to, to kind of keep in touch with everybody just in a different way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and of, and of course, Robin's probably listening and knows I'm having some fun with him. Though, I, though I think other people may have referred to him as I, <laughs> as I did over recent years. But oh no, he's he's great, of course. Uh, well, I'm glad you're feeling good. I'm glad you're joining the podcast. I I, I know you're involved in some other stuff as well. Um, are, are, might we see you around the 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 rink, maybe? Uh, COVID yes. permitting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I I, I kind of jumped on board with a, a great creative company called Road Fifty Five that's uh, owned and operated by Rob Lalisher, yes, of the Lalisher family. And uh, so I, I'm having fun doing uh, podcast production. But I'm also going to be down at the arena far more covering the Oilers on a more constant basis for the outsiders. And uh, the Oilers have been more than kind enough to extend credentials. So you'll, you'll be sick of seeing me probably by November. I will. I won't be sick of. Uh, won't be sick of seeing you. But uh, that'll, well, that'll plus, be I fun get to, to go see. to the media meal. I get to go to the media meal, and I'll be keeping my receipt. <laughs> You're gonna have to bring me some up, so I have time to wolf something down between sure. the, uh, the face-off show and the start of the game. You can. I'll, I'll slip you a fiver, and by that I mean a nickel, not a five-dollar bill. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> pretty, That'd be great. Pretty generous, uh, Bryn. This was great. How do people find the Outsiders podcast and find you on Twitter? Well, it's on all the year candy sites, Spotify, Apple, uh, you know, Google. And we we have an audio version currently. We're looking to jump into the video uh, the component very quickly here. And uh, it, like I said, if, all you have to do is search out the outsiders. And outsiders, it's a play on the insiders is what it is. But uh, because we feel now we're kind of a little bit on the outside. But all you have to do is just type in outsiders in caps on most of your search engines. And you should be able to track track us down. But we just try to have some fun. And we, we try to mix it up a little bit. And that's kind of where we're at, man. Right on. Bryn, this was great. Let's do this again soon, man. All the best. I really appreciate it. Anytime you want to do it, that's great. It was fun. Is Bryn, right on. That is Bryn Griffith checking in tonight. So, yeah, he mentioned it, the Outsiders podcast, uh, longtime member of the media here in Edmonton. Uh, great human being. Glad he's doing well. We talked a bit about his tenure with the Oilers as their uh, community relations and public relations manager. That was a lot of fun. You also heard from Gene Principe, Jared Burgoyne, Milan Dragosevic, and Natalie Spooner fresh off the gold medal, joined us to kick off the show. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy is your studio operator. More Elks news tomorrow as practice will become a little bit more intense for Monday's game in Calgary. Don't forget our coverage on Monday here on Ched will start at 1230. My name's Reed. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. 
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.